Uh, last time we considered what we seek as the, the outcome of worship. You know, we want to be able to gather together, worship God in spirit and in truth, and be able to say, I learned something. I understood what was going on. We want to be able to say because of our worship that I feel better. I feel like I understand forgiveness. I understand restoration. I understand hope. I understand eternity. We also know that sometimes the outcome of our worship might be that sometimes the way it's put is our toes have been stepped on. I rather think it's about our heart being touched. It's that I recognize I'm not living the way the Lord has called me to live. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. But also our worship should be about coming to fear the maker, the creator of all things, the one who made us and this world, and we come to appreciate his power, we come to appreciate his knowledge, we come to appreciate the beauty that he shared with us. We say, I fear God. And so that's what we, among other things, that's what we hope is the, the outcome of our worship as we looked at the first part of 1 Corinthians 14 last time. Now today we look at sort of what we might call the, the last half of 1 Corinthians 14. And here we're going to talk about more like we might say the order of worship. And I don't mean the order as in, well, first you got to have like, what, two songs and then a prayer and then a song. I'm not talking about that. The Lord doesn't speak on that. We could have sung 25 songs this morning, whatever it might. When we say the order of worship, that's not what we mean. When we say the order of worship, we mean are we coming together and doing things in a way that pleases the Lord? The organization of us as a body and the organization of our worship. Things like who's allowed to be in positions of leadership. That, that remains a controversial topic. It's not merely an issue just among us either. If you were to say, well, when it comes to things like uh, female leadership and leading in worship and being elders and these kinds of things, it's not just an issue like among us. It's not just a, a member of the body of Christ, a, a church of Christ issue. It's not. People around the world who are seeking to look at Scripture and understand are struggling with this idea. I mean, just last month in June, there was a huge group of people who met down in New Orleans, and one of the major things they discussed was, are women allowed to be in positions of leadership? So it's not just among us that people are talking about this. We want to make sure, see, now here's the deal, we don't look to the left and to the right, what are other people doing? We need to kind of gauge the wind. We're not concerned with what others do in large part. We don't we seek what Scripture says. We seek what the Lord says. We seek, Lord, what's your word for me right here, right now? I seek to submit to you. I don't want to be like all the people around me. I want to be like you want me to be. Amen? But I, I highlight that other thing just to let you know this isn't just something that us isolated over here, we're the only ones thinking about this. That's not the way it works. Lots of people are thinking about this. And so we need to have thought through it and be able to come out on the other end, like we're talking about the outcome of worship. We need to come out on the other end saying, I stand confidently and firmly rooted where the Lord wants me to be. That's what we want. We don't want to do something just because that's the way it's always been done. We want to be humble enough to admit that sometimes we make mistakes. And so we also pray that we're later courageous enough to change and make corrections when errors have been identified. 
But we also pray that we're wise enough and strong enough to stand firm when we're doing what God has called us to do. Amen? That's what we want. To the very, very best of our ability, we seek to please God while being respectful and loving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul said, we make it our aim to please Him. Now, I think in, in large regard, he's talking about him and his fellow disciples of Jesus, that their lives were thought they were to be. But that's what we want for the church. We want for the body of Christ. We make it our aim as the body of God's people. We make it our aim to please him in everything we do. And so that's sort of the mindset that we take as we look at, at this passage here in 1 Corinthians 14. I want to start reading at about verse 20. Now, I recognize that we looked at uh, verses 20 and following last week. Um, we referred to chapter 20 last week just very, really, really briefly whenever we see that Paul's saying that when it comes to spiritual gifts and your treatment of each other generally, he's saying, number one, you're not being loving. But he's also saying, number two, you're being immature. You're being immature in the way that you treat each other. You're being immature in the way that you seek to exploit and use spiritual gifts. You're being immature. Here, here's what he said. This is 1 Corinthians 14 at verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Now, in the law, it's written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners. I will speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me. Verse 22. Thus, tongues are not a sign for the believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and then outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters in, he's convicted by all and is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you I want to keep reading for a moment because I want you to see what it is that he's going to be talking about that some of them are immature about so just just keep going with me let's read a long passage what then brothers when you come together each one has a hymn a lesson a revelation a tongue an interpretation let all things be done for building up if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and then let the others weigh what is said. Consider the message that's been revealed, contemplate, weigh it. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first one be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one. You have that ability, one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. See, learning is what we're seeking. That all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets because God's not a God of confusion. He's the God of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. 
If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church, in the assembly. Was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only one it's reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone doesn't recognize this, he's not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, having read that passage, I wanted to read it all out loud. I wanted all of it to be put together in one setting, in one hearing, so that you could read it the way and hear it the way that the apostles shared it the first time by the Holy Spirit. Because when we start talking about immature thinking, I want you to see what it was he was connecting it to. Immature thinking goes like this. I decide, and then fill in the blank. That sounds really strong, doesn't it? I decide. That's so immature. It's so selfish. It's so self-centered. It's like the little baby who stomps his feet and screams, Mine! I get it! Would any of us say, Oh, you're being so mature. No. We say, stop acting like a baby. It's so immature to be so I, I, I. Whatever the topic, whether it's worship or salvation or organization, whatever it might be, listen to me, God decides. Amen? God declares what's right and what's good. So whether intellectually or merely emotionally, I don't determine what's holy. I submit to what God has deemed to be holy. And so to say, I decide, he says, quit being so immature. Then there's this. There's, well, maybe it's not I decide, it's, it's my friends and my, my town and my society and my culture. The numbers, the group decides. Well, to that, the Lord would say, why are you so easily influenced? Why are you so easily swayed? We know that it's hard to stand out against the grain. It's not easy to do. We understand that. We're not making light of that. Not naive. Not simple. Don't pretend like going against huge numbers of people is easy to do. It's not. But it is immature to base all your decisions based upon what the numbers are doing. It's immature. If you look around and see, well, here's what most are doing. Therefore, that must be right. That's what I will do. The Lord tells us in Ephesians 4.14 to no longer be children. Look at what he says children do. Children are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Children are, are tricked by human cunning and the craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says stop being children. Stop being immature in your thinking. It's immature thinking to be constantly swayed by groupthink. Maybe it's this. Look at verse 36. When he says, was it from you that the word of God came? Here's a tendency that most of us as humans have. I got it right, and you all got it wrong. You need to catch up with me. We're the ones who got it right. Everybody needs to, else needs to catch up with us. Pride and arrogance lead to demise, lead to destruction. That's Proverbs 11.2, Proverbs 16.18. The Corinthians were wrestling with this pride, and so do we. 
It's immature to think that you know better than everybody else. It's also immature to think that you know better than God. And so what? This is the mature thinking. Immature thinking is I decide, we decide, we're the only ones who know. That's immature. There's no other way to put it. That's immature thinking. Mature thinking works like this. Look at verse 37. Mature thinking says, I submit to the divine standard. Now, for a lot of folks, that sounds archaic and backwards. You submit to an ancient book. No, I submit to an eternal God. He has revealed his will to me in this book. And so I, re- I, I submit to the eternal one who's all-powerful, all-knowing, who is the I am. I submit to him. And that, the Lord says, is mature thinking. That there is an objective standard of right and wrong. And that objective standard, that unchanging standard of right and wrong is based upon the nature of my unchanging God. And so I don't determine it. I discover it and I submit to it as he's revealed it to us. We sometimes mistakenly think that the spiritual person discovers something new, right? Hey, everyone, here's a, here's a new idea that's going to change everything about the way you've done church. Here's a new idea that's going to change everything about the way that you've practiced spirituality in the past. Scripture says in verse 37, the spiritual person submits to the ancient words and the ancient ways. Look at verse 37. If anyone doesn't recognize this, and that's referring to, I'm giving you a command straight from the Lord. If anyone doesn't recognize this command from the Lord, then he says that person is not to be recognized, as it were. That person is not spiritual. The concept of maturity is important as we consider who it is that leads and and what takes place in a worship assembly. Because I submit to you, what the Lord is calling us to do is to be mature in our thinking. And that's going to be hard sometimes. I'm not, again, I'm not pretending, I'm not naive to say, well, let's flip the mature switch and it'll be really easy. We'll all just be mature and be above all any kind of issues and problems. Nope. The mature switch says, I recognize that there are certain, certain shortcomings and pitfalls that I've got to navigate. I have a tendency to be prideful. I have a tendency to go along with what others do and be you know, submissive to the winds of change, peer pressure. I recognize these are problems that I have. And so I want to knowingly take those glasses off and knowingly seek the Lord's way, seek His guidance, seek His plan. Because I know that's what He says, that's mature thinking. So here's the way we switch gears now with that sort of as the the baseline upon which we will think through these other things now. Lord, help me to be mature in my thinking, not immature. And so when it comes to whatever it might be, when we come together as a church, we come together as a body, as he says in verse 23, and he says in verse 26, you've come together here. So they've, they've got their homes, they've got their jobs, they've got their lives, and they've left those things behind for a moment in time to assemble together, to come together for a time of worship. He says, when you gather together, when you assemble here for worship, what should be taking place? Well, we know certain things, you know, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, there's going to be singing. We know that. And we're so thankful that we've, we've done a little bit of that together this morning. We've sung, sung songs of praise. What a blessing. We know there's going to be teaching of the word. We know that there's going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. One passage tells us two things. Acts 20, verse 7. In Acts 20, verse 7, it says that 
that Paul prolonged the sermon. Now, thankfully, no one's in too precarious of a place. Not going to be falling out of any windows. You might be falling asleep, but you won't fall out of a window. Thankful for the design of the building. Paul prolonged his message. There's teaching when you come together. But it also says in Acts 20, verse 7, that they partook of the Lord's Supper. They broke bread together. It doesn't mean had a, a grand, old-fashioned meal. It means they came together for the bread and the cup. And so we also know there's going to be praying. 1 Timothy 2, 1. We pray together. We pray for the world. We pray for leadership. And we know there's going to be giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. But beyond these specific acts that we know about, the question, I guess, would be from 1 Corinthians 14 is, how will these acts be carried out? Who will lead in carrying out these acts? How are Christians to conduct themselves in the worship assembly? Well, one of the ways I would answer that is this. We'll look at three things briefly. How should the Christian conduct themselves in the worship assembly? Well, first is with, with honesty and openness. This is the time when we gather together, when we leave homes and jobs and other things, and we gather into this place for a few moments. This is the time to abandon all pretense of perfection. If you walk in here as if you've got it all together, maybe that's, maybe that's true. Good job. But I know for most of us that's not true. Most of us have got all manner of struggles. But we face those struggles with joy and with hope because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. We don't pretend like we don't struggle. We don't pretend like we're not sad. We don't pretend like we don't know where the next paycheck's coming from, whatever that might be. We recognize there's issues in the world, but we face them with joy and hope because of Jesus. We're broken, we're weak, we're desperate, we're sinful, and we know we need a Savior, and so we come here to implore Him and to learn of Him and to give thanks to Him. We need an infinitely wise and powerful God to tell us how to please Him, to show us how to please Him. And so like we said before, there's going to be times when we gather here, we hear the Word of God, and it's going to cut us right to the heart. Acts 2.37. Part of the hard truth is that sometimes we'll be told things that we don't like or don't understand. We mentioned 2 Kings 5 and Naaman. Naaman didn't like and he didn't understand when he was told to go wash seven times in the dirty Jordan River. I don't get that. I'm leaving. We may not understand why God demands that we worship Him the way that we do, but we continue to seek His will on all matters. And so we come into this place seeking to be open and honest to say, Lord, reveal Your will to me and help me submit. The second thing is that we come into this place and we worship with clarity and deliberateness. By that I mean we want, to be, we want to be clear in what's said so that the group together can say amen. I wasn't calling for it just then, but I want you to be ready because it's a good thing to say amen. That's what he says here in this passage. When they come together, if you're saying crazy things that nobody understands, how can they then say amen? We want to be clear. We want to be deliberate so that all can participate. There's no chaos. There's no confusion. There's no overwhelming outburst that like, can't be controlled or, or helped. Look at, look at these verses. Let's reiterate. Look at verse 28. 
If there's no one to interpret, let each one keep silent. This is the one speaking in tongues. If there's no one to interpret, let that person keep silent. See, it's controlled. You can stop. Verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first one stop. Be silent. You can control it. For you all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. See, listen to that. Subject to the prophets. God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. We, we gather together to worship with clarity and deliberateness. And that brings us to the last thing. We gather together to worship with humble submission to God's plan. Humble submission to God's plan. So we're seeking to be honest with the text. We're seeking to be clear from what the Lord has said and do what, clearly what the Lord has said. And then finally, we seek to humbly submit to what He calls us to do. Now, as we said, we live in a day and age when all you've got to do to speak of something as evil is to connect it to this word that's become evil now, the evil word, patriarchy. Patriarchy, evil word. Because patriarchy has come to mean men rule and women are terrible and must be oppressed. Squash the women. Patriarchy. And so if you hear anything that connects anything to patriarchy, you know automatically it's evil. We know that's not the way the Bible presents it. Not even remotely. The Bible speaks of patriarchs, which in the old days of the old law, the eldest son was the head of the family. No question. The eldest son, head of the family. But what we look to see here in the New Testament is that it's not that only men have power and all women are too weak and not allowed to do anything. That's not the New Testament concept. Church organization and worship in the assembly is not immoral. It's not ridiculously outdated. That's some of the ways that it's painted, the pictures that are given. It's simply submission to the plan that God has shared. And so we have to be serious about being submissive to God's plan. And that means from every line, from whether it tells me that I'm to be praying for my enemies, I'm to be forgiving those who have been rotten to me, I have to be just as submissive to Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If I won't forgive others, the Lord won't forgive me. I've got to submit to that. That's, that's true for every last one of us. Just in the exact same way the 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 is true, and I have to submit to it also. And so we, we understand there's clarity about the fact that there are different roles for people, right? We go back, we saw 1 Corinthians 12. We won't take the time to read it now. But 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through verse 31 in other words, the last part of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. He says, you know, there's some that are prophets and some that are teachers and some that work miracles and some that don't. There's different roles for different people. Not all people teach. Not all people lead singing. Not all people pray. We have different roles to play. So we are different, clearly different things to do. But the Lord says, Galatians 3, 28, we're all equal. No slave, no free, no male, no female. When it comes to being saved by the blood of the Lamb, there's just one body of people saved by the blood of the Lamb. But now listen to this. I know you know it, but in passages like this, at times like this, this has to be reiterated. Submission does not equal being inferior. 
I'm going to say it one more time because it's so important. Submission does not equal being inferior. You know how I know? Just like I know Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. But also the way that world works. I don't think, and I know you don't think this, you got a boss, maybe you got a coworker, and maybe that coworker makes 50 cents more an hour than you do. Is it because they're so much better than you? <laughs> no, they're not better than you. They're equal to you. But there are different things happening, maybe more time put in, maybe whatever. There's something different there. But here's what I want you to see. Look at the Lord. Look what it says. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Christ Jesus, equal to the Father, both infinite, both omniscient, both omnipotent, says the Son equal, but didn't consider that equality something to be grasped with white knuckles. And so he left the glory of heaven for a time to come to this earth, take on flesh, and go to the humiliating cross. He submitted his life to the plan of the Father so that you and I could be saved. Well, something similar is said in Hebrews 13, 17. In Hebrews 13, 17, it tells the sheep of the church to be submissive to the shepherds of the church. It says, submit to your leaders. You and I should submit to our eldership here. But that doesn't somehow make them more valuable as human beings than us. They're a, they've assumed a different role than what we play. And so the shepherds and elders would be submitted to and followed. Not because they're better, not because they're more value, because they're in a different role, a God-given role. And so the pressure to change is real. The pressure was real in Corinth. But being submissive to God's plan requires our commitment to faithfulness. Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. So no matter what theories are brought up, no matter what philosophies are brought up, no matter what ideas are brought up, we must submit to what the Lord has shared. Now that would be a good time to say amen. We must submit to what the Lord has shared. Not the modern day philosophies and ideas, because they're not that modern. They're just regurgitations of something old that's been brought up before. They were dealing with it in Corinth. We deal with it now. And he says, not even gifts. Not even gifts get to contradict the word. Look at verse 37. I mentioned it before. But if someone thinks they're a prophet or they think they're spiritual, so they think, look, I've got all these special gifts. So I ought to be able to do what I want when I want because it's a gift from God. Even specifically just using it, looking at the male-female issue. A woman in Corinth, he says here, a woman in Corinth was not allowed to say, now listen, hold on, I've got a gift and clearly it's from God. So therefore, you can't bar me from using it in the assembly. But that's exactly what the Lord did. He told them they weren't to use such a gift in the assembly. And so similarly today, we cannot say that so-and-so has a great gift and blessed by God, so how can we deny them that gift in the assembly? Because the Lord called us to. Sometimes there are things that we clearly recognize that just on an emotional, human level maybe aren't quite clear to us, but the Lord says it couldn't be any more crystal clear how clearly He defined His plan. Look at the way the plan for leadership, the plan for elders or, or shepherds, the plan for pastors. Look at this. It can't be, you can't misunderstand 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, or Titus 1, verse 6. Who's to be an elder? He's to be the husband 
of one wife, a man of one woman. I'm sorry, but there is no way to misinterpret that. The husband of one wife is who's qualified to be an elder. So he's called male leadership here in this place. A one woman man, that's, that's the call. And God made it just as clear when it comes to his expectations for leading in worship. We've already read 1 Corinthians 14, so read with me 1 Timothy 2. We'll read 1 Timothy 2 and then we'll close our study for the day. 1 Timothy 2, let's start reading together at verse 8. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. This is talking about gathered in an assembly together because he speaks of lifting holy hands, which the uh, Jewish rabbi spoke of. This was the time where the, uh, the priest went before the ark and lifting their hands meant they were leading the group in prayer together. And so he says, I desire in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel of modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or perils or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. That's good works. So let a woman learn quietly with submissiveness. I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was first formed in Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So let me make a few observations based on 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. This declaration the Lord has given us is universal. It's everywhere, not just Corinth. It wasn't limited to a particular geographical location. It's universal. But it's also timeless. All the time, not just the first century, not just that one little place, Corinth, for that one little period of time. It's based upon the principle of creation. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. There's no time limit placed upon it because it's based upon the principle of creation. But then here's the other thing. It's consistent. The New Testament is clear. The Lord places the obligation and the responsibility of leading. Lord, help us to be mature in our thinking. Lord, help us to be submissive to you in every aspect of our lives, even in our worship and in the organization of your body, the church. In all things, we make it our aim to please him. Not to please ourselves, not to be beholden to some tradition, but to please him and submit to his will. That's what he's called us to do, and that's what we seek with all sincerity, knowing we can, we can be more faithful and we can grow. It's what we're seeking. Maybe you in your own personal life, because this has sort of been a, a classroom type lesson today, but I want to make it very, very personal for you as we quit. It may be that you have been immature in your thinking in a number of different ways, ways that we've not expressed in the last few minutes. Maybe it's the case that you need to show your growth and your maturity by coming to the Lord and asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's the case that you need to show your maturity in thinking the way that your thinking has matured by saying, I recognize I've never been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I know that the only thing that will bring me into a place of clear conscience and safety and being washed of my sins is being washed in his blood. If that's where your mature thinking has brought you, then won't you come while we stand and sing?